Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and this week I'm bringing in Marty Morales to talk about structural integration and the process of building your own method of work. Now, this episode is going to be especially interesting for those of you who believe they are onto something unique and special within your own practice. And you feel like at some point you'll want to start your own form or technique of bodywork. Now, Marty is someone who has recently been through that process, so it's a rare opportunity to glimpse into what that might be like. Now, Marty has been in private practice since 2003 and teaching students throughout the U.S. and internationally since 2006. He's based in San Francisco, California, and Marty is the founder of the Morales Method of Manual Therapy and Body Conditioning. He is a published author and has written numerous articles for Massage and Bodywork magazine. Now, I really enjoyed my conversation with Marty. These days, with the podcast, I'm blessed to interview some of the most experienced and engaged leaders in our field. However, that means I'm usually meeting with him virtually. And with Marty, since he lives and works in my area, I had the pleasure of getting together with him in person. You'll probably notice that due to the clarity of our audio. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. I give you Marty Morales. Welcome, Marty. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, you know, thanks, Haley, for for, uh, joining me. And thanks for doing this. You know, I think this is a great service that you're providing to body workers, practitioners all over. So, you know, I appreciate that you're doing this for everyone. Oh, thank you. It's yeah. uh, it's been an honor to do it, and I'm I'm happy to have you here because I feel like we're going to touch on some pretty interesting topics that I haven't covered before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to to drop right into it. Yeah. What was your path with regards to bodywork? What got you? What led you to this moment? I think uh, I think like a lot of other folks, it's kind of this accidental discovery. You know, to become a body worker, I. I am. Um, I have an undergrad degree in finance and an MBA, and with with a lot of emphasis in finance. So, you know, I joke to my students. Of course, my next path was to become a massage therapist, right? Um, but you know, I accidentally found myself there because it was uh, it was a hobby that I always that I had been doing since '96, and the hobby turned into career training in 2002. And then once I became a massage therapist, that's when I I realized that there was so much to learn and I was exposed to some fantastic teachers and mentors who guided me along a path. You know, they they showed me structural integration training and they helped me uh, become a teacher domestically in the U.S. and internationally. And so, you know, it, it, uh, it wasn't it wasn't all my thinking, you know. It was a lot of uh, support and guidance from from teachers and mentors. Mm. Do you have any particular people you you like to thank or attribute that? Yeah, to? yeah, absolutely. You know, Art Riggs was and has been, still is a, a big influence in, in in my life. You know, he was my first deep tissue teacher, and he was the one who said you need to become a rolfer, and and he was the one who said you know you should start your own method, Marty, and then you know from there. Things take their own trajectory, but he definitely influenced me very early on. Hmm. And so this is a question that I've I've come across, and I, I truly don't know the answer, and I'd rather not Google it. I'd rather ask you, <laughs> what is the difference between rolfing and structural integration, or are they one and the same? Is it semantics? Yeah, be careful what you Google out there, you know? <laughs> Who knows what you're going to get? So, you know, I mean, I think it, it is, part. a big part of it is semantics, 
Rolfing is the original form of structural integration. And as the stories go, uh, and by the way, I'm just relaying stories that were told to me by my teacher. So there, there may be some nuance that is different from what other people have heard. But uh, as the story goes, Ida Rolf, who, who developed structural integration, wanted to name it structural integration. That's what she, she coined the term. But everyone else, after they got off her table, would say, oh, I just got Rolfed. And, you know, so the name kind of stuck. And, oh, you're a Rolfer because you came from this discipline, right, that Ida created. And I guess at some point she realized if you can't, if you can't beat them, join them, and went with the term Rolfer, Rolfing, and that whole thing. But Rolfing is a form of structural integration. Uh, and it was the original uh, form of SI, structural integration. Um, but as decades went on, there were uh, other forms that branched out from Ida's school to have their own structural integration school. So, so now there's this big umbrella of SI that Rolfing is a part of. Does it feel like a lineage? Is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it? Almost like a direct relationship. So uh, Rolfing right. is the 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 mother modality to all these smaller related, or not necessarily smaller, but these related mm-hmm. uh, uh, structural integration modalities. Right. Yeah. Correct. You know, the, there has to be, uh, according to the International Association of Structural Integrators, there has to be a lineage from the Rolf Institute uh, in order to be able to uh, call yourself an SI school. And that international association is the body that kind of recognizes when a structural integration school has reached uh, a level of legitimacy or validation within the community. Correct, correct. You know, the, the, the International Association of Structural Integrators kind of was created or developed uh, out of the need to govern and, and regulate all of these SI schools that were popping out, that they were popping up, most of them you know, were coming from and the lineage from the Rolf Institute. Some weren't. So then there was a need to say, okay, you know, let's let's uh, create a rule, let's create a structure here for these structural integration schools. Hmm. Yeah. So what are some of the most common misunderstandings that massage therapists have about structural integration? Some of the big misconceptions, I think it's, I think when they, when they come into a, a training or some uh, introduction training, they have some of the some of the same misconceptions that clients do, uh, which is oh, structural integration is supposed to be extremely painful, and you know some of the things I heard before I went to uh, the Rolf Institute for for training. You know, I heard oh, they're ripping muscle from bone or they're stretching fascia. These type of things that aren't true. Um, but I think the mis- the big misconception is that it's a it's supposed to be painful work. It's supposed to be very intense work. And I have heard that a lot of practitioners shy away from that type of uh, training or learning SI because they feel that it may be it may create a, too much strain on their body. So, so they feel that it's also you know intense for the client and intense for the practitioner. Uh, that's that's probably the, the the big set of misconceptions. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it, it not only that misconception brings in the people with incorrect expect, in ex- expectations, mm-hmm. but it holds people back who don't even, who don't even try. I agree because of that expectation. Yes, that yes, it doesn't jive with with how they identify as a therapist when it may in fact be right in line. Mm-hmm. Ex- exactly, exactly. And I've seen you know um, in in my training, I've seen teachers that. Kind of 
definitely follow that dogma, but I've also seen teachers who don't. And, you know, they, and then becomes the question of, you know, are we all doing structural integration then? Because it's not as intense. You know, I feel that, that, that we do. It's, it's more of a philosophy rather than uh, techniques. So what are some of the successes that are possible with SI that you've witnessed? <clears throat> one of the most memorable uh, successes that I've had with one of my clients is um, I had a client with a 42-degree scoliotic uh, pattern in their, in their spine. And she, she went to her doctor, and her doctor said, go, go do whatever it is you got to do, but if you're going to go beyond 42 degrees, if you get to 45 degrees, we, we definitely want to uh, do surgery. It was starting to uh, uh, really tweak her back and give her pain. She was having shoulder, uh, rib pain, low back pain. Came to see me and um, we worked. And one of the things that we ended up working with, with this particular client was, was her liver. And she, you know, I, I really didn't touch her spine until we got to maybe like session six. So much later on in the in the series, so there was a lot of a lot of liver work, and she told me later on that she would go home to her husband and tell him, uh, "You worked on my liver again." You know, she wasn't uh, she wasn't prepared for all of that visceral work, and we have we actually have documentation. We have uh, X rays before the series, and then X rays that were taken around session eight of the series. So she went and and got. Uh, you know, re-X-rayed, and we went from a 42 degree to a 30 degree, so a 12 degree difference. And um, you know, I was very happy about that, not just because of of the numbers, but also because of how she felt the the possibility for for change, for new options, for moving around for her, and and you know, her pain actually kind of went away after the first couple of sessions. So which sometimes can happen, uh, which is nice. Um, but to me, I like to share that story because not only is it a possibility for a client, but also for a practitioner to kind of go through that process of discovery with a person. So it's kind of neat. So I have to ask, why did you work on her liver? I know, I know, right? So the, when when I share the story, someone will ask, you know, why the liver and people start, you know, writing vigorously in their notebooks, and I'm sure they're writing in their notebooks, if scoliosis, then liver, right? Which is not the case for for everyone. Um, and I think it goes to sort of the nature of structural integration. Um, and the nature of it, to me, is that it's very much an uh, an art form. And there's a lot of philosophy around it, very much... But it's very much an art. It's a craft. And when I saw her walking, I didn't follow an algorithm. I didn't follow a chart or, you know, any type of SI wheel that I, had, you know, looked at one part, looked at another part. That that area, that territory really called out to me. And, the, and what was in that territory mostly was her liver. So it called out to me when she was walking and I saw her kind of getting compressed, getting tight in that area as she was walking and I thought, well, okay. Uh, and, you know, walking is one of the first things that we do, this kind of gait analysis. And I thought, okay, well, let's go there and let's see, let's see what happens, you know? And I kept going to the spot, not because I thought to myself, I must continue to work on this liver, but because I kept seeing results 
So I kept going back to that area. And, and some people will think, well, okay, maybe there's something in, you know, the Rolfing Bible, so to speak, that talks about, you know, scoliosis and liver. And there really isn't. There's more talk about the philosophy of, of you know, why you would choose to go in one place, you know, as opposed to another. Mm. So, so when you saw her walk mm-hmm. and this sort of compression in the liver area, mm-hmm. what did that look like? What, is, what does it look like to have compression in the liver as you're walking? Um, it, it just looked like that area was kind of getting squished together more than another area, okay. more than like her stomach area. Right, so an asymmetry in how you would expect the body to, to move. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when working with the liver, did you discover anything that you thought was out of the ordinary, or was it s- simply the uh, the result, the positive result that you got that allowed you that that confirmed your suspicions? Yeah, I didn't, I, I I didn't see anything that was out of the ordinary. I didn't tell myself, oh, the falciform ligament is tight or anything like that. No, uh, honestly, I didn't make a discovery like that. I just uh, started to see the results from working that that area. Um, I did incorporate, you know, for those who are listening and writing down if scoliosis and liver, I did incorporate breathing and diaphragm work as well. So, you know, she helped me as I was working that area. She helped me to kind of, quote unquote, push the liver out with her breath. Mm-hmm. So um, and that was one of the big things that I had her continue to do on her own. You know, some breath exercises, being aware of where her liver was as she was breathing in and out. And that, I feel, is the main thing that helped her keep the work, you know, because I'm not, I know for sure I'm not stretching the, the, the fossiform ligament. I'm not stretching any ligaments around the liver. You know, I think that we're just kind of changing with a, a we're resetting her pattern, really. So switching gears a little mm-hmm. bit, you've you've taught a class called Introduction to Structural Integration. What are some of the things that students first learn in that class? You know, I, I definitely want to share some of the history with them. I want them to, you know, I, I, I want to debunk some of the myths, you know, uh, what people are believing. And, and you know, sometimes uh, there's some misinformation inadvertently gets spilled over from other areas and and when people come in that are that are coming in from other modalities, I want to make sure they get the story straight or about as straight as as they can for me, right? Um, so that's the first thing. And then from there, I go into the philosophy of the work because I think that's a that's a big piece of it. Like I said, there's no main algorithm, so we have to talk about why people decide to work uh, the way they do. And you know, there are some principles behind structural integration talk about those and then we go into gait analysis as we do it you know because i know it's different from the way other uh, other folks do it and it may not be as kind of uh, hard and structured as you know as gait analysis is done maybe in the pt world or in the sports medicine world so we hang out in this sometimes uh nebulous area you know with regards to si and hopefully they get to start to appreciate, you know, the craft, uh, you know, as I call it. Hmm. If you could boil down some of the, the, the principles of, of structural integration, what would you, what would, how would you call, how would you describe them? Well, uh, you know, uh, some of the principles, well, most of the principles that exist in SI uh, exist in other modalities, but the main one that 
kind of stands out for me as as being the definer of uh, structural integration is the concept of adaptive capacity, or or capacity as you as you might want to call it, and that's the 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 ability for the system, the person, their system to take a work take work body work in a particular territory. So notice I didn't say muscle or body part; it just may be kind of a territory. So now you get a sense of like, oh, we're starting to use different words here in this SI world, right? We're not muscle centric uh, in that sense. So adaptive capacity to be able to the the ability for someone to be able to take that work, and if not, if there is no adaptive capacity, um, as the practitioner perceives it, then where do we need to work to create that capacity or to support and prepare for for work in uh, you know in in a particular territory? That to me is kind of the big thing. I don't see it in other modalities, and and I have been bold enough to say that if a modality starts to go into that world, then maybe they're going into the SI world. You know, if they start thinking about adaptive capacity, then maybe it's they're going they're venturing into a structural integration path. Hmm. So this introduction to structural integration. What they learn in this first class, these these theories, the story, uh, how does that differ from what you teach in the method you developed, the, the Morales method? In the introduction to structural integration class, it's a short class. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a few days versus um, the the full SI program, which is you know, uh, hundreds of hours. So they get a basically a bite on a cracker of of what we're what what's in store for them if they take the full program. So, you know, we, we kind of go over some of the highlights. In the introduction class, they don't have the time or the opportunity to take someone through a series or to witness a series or to receive a series. So that's that's the big difference. And since we're on the subject of the Morales method, <laughs> how would you define the Morales method? How does How is it unique from other methods? Yeah, you know... Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I've been thinking about that as as it started out, um, because I, I've always I've always wanted to include stuff that has worked for me. And really, if you boil it down, the, the method is a reflection of of my work, my journey, the things that I've learned, the things that I've employed in my lab of my practice, you know, so to speak. So it's it's a reflection of all that. But then, as I start sharing it with practitioners, and as I start to, as I, as we start to create teachers within the Morales method, then then it starts to have a, a bigger picture. And and uh, one of the things that I like to say is that the, the method is a is a method of no method. You know, I've been I've been really influenced by the work and philosophies of Bruce Lee and and Krishnamurti and and Bruce Lee in his Jeet Kune Do would call it a uh, style of no style. And I like that philosophy because for me it kind of leaves it open, it leaves it uh, porous for things to enter and for things to leave. So um, where it is now is that we take in a lot of the modalities that I have learned throughout the years. We take in what works and uh, we leave things that haven't worked. 
And then we absolutely emphasize, we have a strong emphasis on the practitioner adding in their own personal style, their own personal self into the work. So one person, one practitioner using the Morales method for one thing, it may, it may look different to, to the client than another practitioner, which is, which is okay by me, you know. Mm-hmm. Right now, since it's in its early stages, it still looks a lot like the work I do. Yeah. Yeah. So considering it has the capacity, we've said it, it, it has the capacity and it is set up to adapt and change mm-hmm. as new practitioners bring their, their own selves to it. Mm-hmm. As it stands right now, how would you define it? How would you circumscribe it or define its differences from other modalities? Mm. Well, I, I could say... It's definitely influenced by the the techniques in rolfing, the techniques used by rolfers, you know, the deep tissue techniques. Definitely uh, defined by those, and and then there's a big influence from a lot of the osteopathic techniques, uh, like uh, strain counter strain and trigger point therapy, and and then uh, cranial sacral therapy. You know, so you know, and because this, these are the things that I was trained in early on, and so a lot of these are blend it together to create a form of work that will go to one modality if something works and if it doesn't then it shifts over to you know another way of working but when you when you look at it in 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 a whole as you said the big defining thing is that there's a a, a definite way of palpation we don't say oh you know do 3.14 strokes one way and then the other way you know, there's a definite form of palpation. Uh, we stress a definite form of, of listening with your hands in order to you know, get what inf- whatever information you get from the tissue from the client. And then that helps to determine what, what type of style, what type of technique you're going to use. So, you know, under all of those modalities, there is a certain way of, of palpating. Now, you just said 3.14 strokes. Uh, is there a reason you picked 3.14, yeah, the just, number of pi? No, okay. it just, you know, this is one, I, I like to, I like to, I say it in class, I like to make sure people are listening, so, you know, I'll throw out numbers like that. Well, I appreciate you, um, you sharing your, your, or trying to describe the differences. I know, I know, especially early on, it can be really challenging to, define something that is still alive and moving right 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 and you know it's all it's it's i suspect it's probably going to be challenging at any point Mm -hmm. you know because it's very dynamic and and i know that uh as more teachers come in to the to to the team they will have their own perception of what it means to them you know and and uh i'm okay with that you know so the curriculum and programming that you use for the Morales Method just got approved by this umbrella organization we talked about before, the International Association of Structural Integrators. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means, of course, that there are these multiple schools of teaching mm-hmm. uh, around SI. So what is the same about what they <clears throat> teach, and where do they differ, mm-hmm. generally speaking? Generally speaking, you know, I, I'm only i'm i'm only vaguely familiar with some of the other schools i'm familiar with the rolf institute because that's where i got my my training uh my basic and advanced training 
but I'm only vaguely familiar with some of the other schools. But what I've heard is similar is they all follow, so I've heard, they all follow the same recipe, uh, as they call it, or the same protocol for the series of sessions that come from the Rolf Institute. So, you know, however we were taught to work in that protocol at the Rolf Institute, I've heard that other schools teach it the same way. So that's where I've heard are the similarities. Some of the some of the teachers from other schools came from not just the Rolf, the Rolf Institute, but also the Guild. And the Guild really emphasized a fundamentalist uh, approach, the, the old school approach, classic, you know, classic version, if you will. So I know that a lot of these other schools are are sharing that kind of classic version. Version with our school, uh, you know, which we call it Masi Morales Method Academy of Structural Integration. We show both the classic and our the Morales Method way. So, you know, our principles are slightly tweaked, but our series is uh, definitely different, noticeably different. But we show both. So that people can see, you know, can see the differences and can see and maybe make a decision of what um, appeals to them, which which way appeals to them. Yeah, you know, it sounds more. like the foundation is 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 the same as it comes. It's clearly from uh, the the Rolfing lineage. If you have the right. if the classic built on top of or next to mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the Morales version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you started the Morales method. And how did that affect your relationship with the Rolf Institute, since that's where you were trained and they have their own school and version of teaching? Yeah, you know, I was um, <clears throat> I was definitely nervous about that. You know, I definitely had a lot of stress over what might happen. Are they, Am I going to be excommunicated? You know, what's going to happen there? And, you know, luckily with the Rolf Institute, with the, with the Institute itself, they've been very friendly and you know, supportive in a, in a sense. There was there was an administrator there who has passed away. Uh, Jim Jones uh, used to work at the Rolf Institute, and and he knew you know what what I was up to and what I was doing. He was always friendly with me, always very amicable with me, and I really appreciated that. You know, it, and I really respected uh, him for it. You know, the director of the school as well. You know, we had a conversation. You know, she wanted to talk to me, and had, we had a conversation about my direction and and you know what they were doing and i think she she was very friendly about it too and she you know invited as she said she invited competition and i respect them for it on an individual basis some other some individual rolfers not part of the school you know they they had their different uh opinions for for what i was doing and and i respect them for it as well to me, you know, I, I respect their direction, but for me, it wasn't meant to be. That direction wasn't meant to be. So that it, it happens. Yeah. There, you mentioned that she said she welcomed competition. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's where you are at, or do you feel like that's where it's going to be in the future? Um, I don't, I don't really, I don't really see myself as competition for the Rolf Institute, you know, right now and probably not in the future right now, not right now, because there is a definite cross pollination. You know, there are Rolfers who come in and take my classes and there are people who have started my program and then have switched over to the, the, the Rolf Institute. And, you know, and I think that's great. That's, that's, um, 
you know, I welcome that and I definitely tell them, you know, please, please let them know where you're coming from. And, you know, so, so they see that, that it's all good, that that happens. I suspect that's probably going to keep happening. And, and, you know, in, in the future, when I was there in, in Colorado in 2015, I was there taking my advanced training. And, and uh, by then everyone knew at this, at the faculty level, everyone knew, you know, me and what I was doing. And it was nice to be there in the break room and have a student who had taken classes from me in Japan show up at the Rolf Institute taking their unit two training. So it was neat to see to see that. And in the future, I would hope that we can work together. You know, that would be my 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 dream, ideally, for us to work together somehow. You know, I I don't think that there's I don't necessarily believe in competition per se because I think there's so many unique traits of one thing, you know, compared to another that once you have those unique traits in that differentiation, you really start to attract, you know, different people and folks who, you know, resonate with with those different traits. So uh, to me, if anyone feels that there is, you know, competition, then maybe there needs to be a need for uh, uh inner searching and that may lead to some differentiation that's a nice reframe just in general for for body workers when they feel like there's a lot of competition in their neighborhood or in their city for for the services of massage Mm -hmm. that it's maybe not competition it's just about being you as and what you have to offer as loud as you can and drawing the people who resonate with that absolutely you're I, i totally agree with you you know i think that um that's a that's a big big lesson learned on my end as well. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure there are hundreds if not thousands of massage therapists out there who have dreams of creating their own method or or codifying their style of bodywork into a lineage that uh that they can be taught right. and transformed and make their own school. Right. What advice might you give to someone who has those aspirations or ideas? Hmm. Um, uh, keep learning, you know, keep taking as many continuing ed classes as you, uh, uh, as you can. Why? Um, because it's going to influence your way of thinking. It's, you know, it's not necessarily about, oh, you know, you can take this technique from here or take that from there. It's going to, you know, spark your creativity, make you think things, uh, think about things differently and, and lead you onto some path you may not have, uh, uh, gone, that would be my first advice. And my second advice is as you do that and as your method starts to gel to uh, be respectful of those things that you learned and, and acknowledge, you know, your, your lineage and just say, hey, you know, I went to this class and I learned it, you know, and, and I did this. And now it's coming out like blah, blah, blah. It's coming out, you know, this way. So I think it's important uh, for the student to hear that and for the, the practitioner to hear it, you know, to hear those words out loud because no one hatched from an egg, you know, we're, we're all essentially reflecting, you know, some work that came down from who knows how many thousands of years ago. So, mm-hmm. uh, so my listeners know that I asked this to, to all of my guests, but, uh, what was your most memorable failure as a body worker? I, you know, my most memorable failure, I think, you know, I've definitely had tons of failures. And um, they all, to me, in my head, kind of seem to be, like, vying for number one. <laughs> but I would say 
does it does this one count? You tell me. Does this one count if I say I'm not starting sooner? I'm not starting sooner than than I than I had. Um, you know, as a body worker or yeah, with your method? Um, uh, both, both actually. You know, as a body worker and uh, and with the method, um, I feel that I could have started sooner. I I think that there were a few years where I was kind of dilly dallying and mm-hmm. trying to pound a square peg in a round hole and. Um, and you know things could have definitely happened sooner. Maybe that's more of a regret than than a failure. But that's that's the, kind of the big thing. I don't yeah. know. Where, yeah. does, where does that rank with everyone else who's answered that one? Well, I, I try not to rank these things. <laughs> uh, it's 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 interesting to hear as far as an overarching kind of sentiment is being decisive about where you what you feel and being and having some self inquiry around what actually matters and then making a decisive decision. Oh, okay. If you can have that upon upon those feelings or insights. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm actually curious about a specific client. Is there a specific client interaction or bodywork event mm. that, okay. that you remember? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. There's you know and I tell my students some of the greatest teachers you'll have are not the people who sit in front of the classroom or stand in front of the, front of the classroom. They are the people who show up on your table. Those are your greatest teachers, you know, and and you will have memorable failures from the, from those. You know, I had uh, a client many years ago. I think we're talking now, twelve years ago, who, um, <clears throat> um, as I was doing a session on her, uh, something ended up happening with her with her ribs, and she was in more pain after the session than than before the session, and. Thankfully, I I gave her some attention after the session, but I had to. I was working in a spa. I had to go to my next client, and I gave her some attention, uh, which she appreciated. But I feel that I could have uh, uh, known better what was going on in her body and acted accordingly. Mm. Uh, but instead, the situation got worse for her to the point where she had to go see a doctor, chiropractor, and all of this. And things kind of things unfortunately escalated um, where she needed you know some some uh, uh, chiropractic work um, and so to me that was that was a big failure, but it was also a big learning lesson you know so what was the lesson for you in well that instance? yeah, the lesson was you know what what was going on in there you know what could I have done differently and and um, and from there, I started to read and started to learn uh, ribs and and, and spine. So, you know, for, for me, she was a great teacher in that sense. In showing you where perhaps a blind spot was or, yeah. and so I yeah. guess is the lesson that you needed to learn more about the area in question or not to work on the area in question until you knew more about it? To, um, to learn more. To learn more. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I didn't know there was an issue, unfortunately, you know, um, Maybe that that's the other lesson, the proper intake. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Marty. Well, thanks, Haley. I appreciate it. Yeah. Before we go, do you have any questions for me? Um, no, no, no questions uh, for for you. Um, I'm sure some will pop up, uh, you know, after we do this. But uh, again, I appreciate you doing this, taking the time to, uh, uh, you know, gather this information for practitioners. I'm sure they appreciate it as well. Excellent. Yeah. All right, Marty. Thank you so much. All right. Take thanks. Care. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. 
If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.housethepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well. Thank you.